When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here we are. I'll start with a question that I hadn't asked you because I wrote it down and forgot. (laughs) So you and I have been fortunate enough lately to have been invited to fund early stage psychedelic startups. Yeah. And we were going through this, like we're going to send them, uh, it's like a low five figure amount of money. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, which is the minimum amount that they will ever accept. Yep. Yep. <laughs> but in the sheet, it's it's got all these questions about: Do you have this much in the bank? Do you have this? And they're essentially trying to find out if you or a conglomerate of people qualify as an accredited investor. Mm-hmm. And the only, and so my question to you is: Is this accredited investor status total BS in the sense that the government lets me gamble in Las Vegas mm-hmm. and uh, make all sorts of deleterious harmful decisions to my health but they won't let me access the most explosive like tech stocks ever like somebody invited me to do this with spacex and i was like oh my god yes and i put in the same small five-figure amount that was basically done to me because they're a friend and like yeah i'm gonna throw you into this fund that you couldn't possibly get into so Mm -hmm. you're in the finance world am i missing something are they actually looking out for the little guy it's both i think is the thing so Yes, this is looking out for the little guy in the sense that SpaceX, a psychedelic startup, all this money, the way VC firms work in general, expect a lot of it to go to zero. And so when you are an accredited investor, you are making these investments periodically over time. And when some of them blow up, you're compensated by some of them doubling or tripling. So or if 10xing you, or 100xing. Or, yeah. yeah, or 50xing. So if you only have 10 grand in the bank, mm-hmm. then letting you invest in this is probably not a good idea because you're likely to lose it all. So it is to protect you. What's weird is that they don't protect you in the other areas. So this isn't actually, in my opinion, gatekeeping to try to help the rich get richer. But what's strange is that the government doesn't say, listen, you're absolutely wasted drunk in Las Vegas right Mm -hmm. now. You just took out 10 grand. That's above our, that's our warning thing for like, hey, oh, you need to show us that you have at least 50 grand in the bank before you are drunkenly gambling 10 grand on roulette. <laughs> mm. uh, that's how you would like to see it. To, if, if the policy is that the government's going to protect you from making bad financial decisions, it should extend to more than just startups, Got it. basically. But at the same time, it would not be great if someone who only had 10 grand in the bank put 10 grand into a psychedelic startup because you're mm. likely to never see that again. Yeah, yeah. So that's my take. Got it. Okay. Yeah. It's the reverse of what I, it's not, yeah, it's not that, oh, we got to keep all these people with less money out because they're going to crowd out the rich people's money. It's no. like, oh, if we're going to protect them here, 
we should probably protect them over yeah, here. As, as I well. mean, especially because the truth is, even for us, we're barely making a dent. Mm-hmm. SpaceX is raising, you know, tens of millions of dollars, mm-hmm. and so you wouldn't crowd out even if you let a bunch of little guys invest. Oh, okay. Instead of investing six million dollars, I get to invest five point eight million dollars. Like it doesn't matter to me yeah. as a high level VC firm, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, most likely people would just be losing their shirts and and their life savings. It's Got just it. strange that we don't protect them from doing that. That it should be the same. Whatever it is, it should Las be. Las Vegas is a very yeah. odd setup. Yeah. Not saying it has to change. It's just a strange place that you can go to. They will pump you full of alcohol. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows they are trying to get you drunk so you make bad decisions. And then you do make bad decisions. <laughs> yeah. And you lose all your money to them. And it's totally fine. If I described it to you, but instead of calling it Las Vegas, I called it a business I was running, mm-hmm. you would tell me it was ethically wrong and maybe illegal. Now that said... I love going to casinos. I lose money every time I go, but never more than I can afford. And so it's fine. I just, that's just the tax of having fun in Vegas. You're not losing money. They're just very expensive drinks. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. (laughs) And it's an hour of entertainment, but I'm playing with nothing. I'm playing with, you know, uh, a couple hundred bucks. And if I win, by the way, it's, it's the same. I've won nothing. You know, Mm -hmm. that's the difference is if you go and bet your life savings, you can win a material amount. I never lose or win anything noticeable. I'm looking for the lowest minimums every time. And I like Vegas. So this isn't to, to demonize Vegas, but it's just strange that if I told you I was having people come to my house, tricking them into drinking more than they should because I was having basically naked women solicit them to drink more for free yeah. and then having them a gamble that money that's them. rigged <laughs> so that the odds are always in my favor, you would, you would question if I should be doing that or not. Yeah. And even if it was legal. Yeah. Vegas is interesting because we live there and you see behind the curtain when you live there. And it is a, not a city, it's a strip wide and then there's the downtown area. It's a strip wide grift. Like the entire thing is designed to separate you from your money. And one of the the biggest lubricants is alcohol and drugs. And And the second biggest is beautiful women. Yes. You go to all the clubs and there, you think that the beautiful women are there for you because, oh, how great is it to have a server that's so shockingly beautiful, but she's absolutely there to separate you from your money and get you to buy as many bottles of the most expensive variety of yeah. champagne you, that she can. Just so you know, if you're ever in Vegas and you think you lucked out, like you're on the strip and some guy comes up to you and he invites you out to a club that night, you're like, oh my God, thank God we found the guy who's going to get us in for free. Like you've never lucked out in Vegas ever. <laughs> ever. Except that one time you put it on green on the roulette wheel. Yeah, one of the biggest tricks in Vegas is that you think that you got lucky. Yep. And really what you did is you're just in the first play of the con. So if you're ever on the strip and there's the guys handing out these cards, like, hey, but you guys look like really cool. You should come to the club tonight. What you got to realize is there's one of those every 200 feet on the strip. You're going to bump into one of them. They invite you to come to these clubs. What they don't tell you is that if you, do, if you come after like 10 p.m., which of course you will, you have to either wait in line and then pay. Their job is basically just to get you in line to general admission to these clubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that same game is played constantly in Vegas. Oh, it's a discount on this. It's and it's like no, you're you're getting ripped off at every stage. So you just have to go in and this is how you have fun or at least I think you have fun in Vegas. You set aside an amount of money that is a burn pile. Yeah. And you're like this doesn't exist. This can be spent on, you know, what a food, drink or gambling and I don't expect to have any monetary return on that. And yeah. then you're okay. Yeah, and if you come out with anything <laughs> left in the burn pile, you've won. I'll tell you one way that we did actually do well in Vegas. The buffets. We made them pay. <laughs> we would like just wait in the buffets twenty eight dollars and just be there for two and a half hours, yeah. eat ten thousand calories, once a day. And, be like, <laughs> and then and then occasionally they'd let us take food out. We'd be like, "Sorry, can we have this on our plate? Can we just get a plastic bin?" Because we live there. That's the other thing. They really hook you up if you're a local. 
Um, I have a bunch of stuff that is just yeah, random. Yeah, keep, keep ripping, dude. So you saw this. I was on the roof the other day, and this is just for people because I've, I've said this now a handful of times. I got a text from my alma mater, American University. Ah, yes. Asking, saying, hey, because of the pandemic, we have students that are hard hit and they can't afford food. Would you consider, you know, just $25 helps them get a couple of meals? And to be clear, they can't afford food. So that's a big problem yes. that the AU students have. Yes. And I was like, wait a second. Like, I already gave you guys $120,000. <laughs> like, what did you do with that mm-hmm. one? Uh, and then we, I knew it. I Googled. There's like American University Endowment. And there's a small relative to other colleges. Mm-hmm. They have $720 million worth yeah, of endowment. They can't use that to feed starving students. And dude. students that can't eat. And so they go, like, it's just the most, I've never had a product that disappointed me as much as my college education. Can you imagine if a business did the same thing? If a business is like, I have $720 million in the bank, but I'm going to have to cut your minimum wage to the point where you can't afford food. I'm sorry. I mean, it does what, I mean, to be fair, that's like Amazon. <laughs> you know what I mean? To be, but then it would be like, it would no, be the, like dude, if Amazon asked their customers no, no, this for is, donations. This is my point. People, they get tons of flack for that. Amazon gets shit on for that all the time. Yes, but no what they one don't is do is ask their customers for donations. They don't text you and be like, hey, we have employees that cannot afford to live. Yeah. Like, would you consider giving just a bit more? Uh, yeah, college to me, and again, if you had a different college experience, I've never been more disappointed in a purchase and then hit up after that disappointing experience more times for free money. Yeah. It is wild that that industry is so entitled so that, they have, not, that they have the gall to text me is, is berserk. I'd be, I actually, as I think about it, though, that is, that would be an interesting business practice generally. If every time you bought something, they hit you up and they're like, Hey, listen, we charged you what we thought was a fair amount. Yeah. But did you think it was more valuable? <laughs> like, Hey, you paid 20 grand for this car, but are you yeah. loving it? Maybe give us another thousand dollars. Cause like we could use it. Tesla just contacted yeah. you and was like, you Dude, like if Mazda, Tesla. If Mazda hit me up, it's like, Hey, how's you surfing a lot and more with the car, like, right? We noticed that you donated last year and you'd like to continue. <laughs> <laughs> we noticed you posted posting a lot about your Tesla on social media. So, I mean, there's we've had longer conversations at college that we don't need to go into and the value or lack thereof, but I was just like, oh my goodness. These guys still have my number. They're still contacting me. By the way, you know what they did? They deleted my college email account like six years ago. You know what I mean? You know, <laughs> they can't even hold the server space for yeah, me, yeah. but they've kept my phone records just in case they need to contact me for money. Um, so I got, I got a totally random ribbon, this dude. week. Uh, Trump's interview on Facebook was taken down. Yep. One of the Trump's interviewed him. I didn't I even know this, this happened. So he was interviewed by someone else. Not on, He doesn't have like channels to distrib- distribute himself. Someone else interviewed him. They took it down. Andrew Schultz had on Alex Jones on his channel. He was taken down. Really? Uh, yes. And I don't know the exact on reason. On YouTube. Alex Jones was taken down on YouTube from Andrew Schultz. Schultz's YouTube yeah, channel? That's yeah. crazy. Okay, so we're at, I would say there was phase one of which I would say Alex Jones was like the beginning of testing. Can we just deplatform people and the answer is of course we can well Nobody's he was the first he was the first uniform one in my, that i heard of yeah because sometimes you're like oh i lost my twitter account mm-hmm. you know even brett weinstein at one point it's like i lost access to my yeah. twitter account but alex jones was the first time they went on the same day yeah. <laughs> we're gonna remove him from the podcast app the youtube app the twitter app it, it was like a mafia hit to yeah. his uh electronic and if it, platform and if it went in stages it was like look this this uh post is too dangerous you know that was stage one like you can't mm-hmm. have it this post and then it was like okay you remove from this platform that's you remove from all of these platforms yeah. and now what it is is and i didn't i didn't get a chance to watch it because it was removed and i couldn't you know easily find it uh i don't believe that trump was calling for insurrection or doing anything that would be defined as real reasonably dangerous within this interview that it presented a clear and present danger such that it needed to be taken down well we'll never know 
<laughs> it's 1984, dude. I don't think that's the argument that they would even bother making. He now is a person who is so dangerous yeah. that he can be taken down on other people's platforms. And I think this is the whatever wave, third, fourth, fifth wave of... Well, not just to be clear, not on other people's platforms. That's the danger. On other people's channels. On other people's channels. Within their platform. Within the, yes, that's, that's... Because the other problem is that you cannot create alternative platforms. Yes, if you make a parlor, Amazon Web Services. Literally, because I was like, okay, the app store took parlor down. (laughs) That's fair. It's their store. But Amazon Web Services taking down the web service to their website. It's their server. I know. know? (laughs) But but so that's the point is it's it's not that he was taken off of. He can't go on anyone's channel within their platform, which they do own. And this is the whole, are they a platform or are they a public publisher debate? So uh, to me, it's just so at this point, it is so obvious that they are publishers and or at least act in that capacity often enough that they should be regulated as a publisher. And I believe that they should maintain the right to remove people, all those sorts of things. But the thing, you know, people aren't consistent, but it seems that we have colluding monopoly like behavior Mm -hmm. or at least it appears like collusion if it's not outright behaving as collusion. How wild is it that you can just make a president disappear? Yeah. Like. You, you heard from this guy every day. He was on every news channel and he's gone. Yeah. And it only, I mean, it was the one thing I heard from him, someone like printed off letterhead for him and then <laughs> scanned it into a tweet. Really? Yeah. It was for his, <laughs> his thing where he's, he said, don't forget about me. I'm the reason you have the COVID vaccine. Yeah. It was a stupid, it was a stupid message. He said, this wouldn't have been here for five years without me. It's like, well, that's not Seems true. A little bit. Uh, I imagine it would have <laughs> roughly been the exact same time frame. But yeah, no, he, the only way he got that message out was he like, you know, Donald Trump was there weekend one, like deconstructing the genome of <laughs> maybe the it was when train. he, you know what? It was probably when he got COVID and kicked it so fast. He had the super gene, he had the super gene. And then that's how they got the vaccine. They used his DNA. Could be. I got it, dude. That's why he's saying, don't forget to thank me. Yeah. Well, in any event, what I was like, oh man, this is yet another wave of boiling the frog, deal with it. You're going to get comfortable with this level of oh, people already control. are. People love it. People are, well, half the some people love it, but it's just it. it's uh wow. Like I can't have I can't have I can't say certain things. I can't say them on this platform. Mm-hmm. Other people can't have me saying it on the platform. Like it, it has just been accepted that freedom of speech does not extend to online platforms. But, but and what's interesting is that it is no longer just be. Uh, in the domain of ideas, like uh, this idea is dangerous. And we can debate, uh, is it dangerous to say that COVID is called by 5G or should you have the right to say that? It's no, this person is associated with mm-hmm. dangerous ideas. So if they say things that make other people like them or make them seem credible, even if in the context of this hour, they're not saying anything outrightly dangerous, yeah. that is too dangerous to have them be a credible herd. Just to be clear, person. nobody, including us, cares about this enough to do anything about it. No. Like no, this there's is, no action plan to stop this. This bulldoze, <laughs> this bulldozer will just keep going. Yes. Yes. No, that's 100% right. Um and I'm one of the things I it was funny because I saw a post that was uh the backlash or whatever. There's there's this idea that there's I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see it and I don't. I think that Well, Parler was the attempt. Parler might have made a ripple if it had been allowed to exist. So, in terms of yeah, we. I don't I want to get too deep into like psychographics of where this this belief stems from, but it seems unless there is a um, a real tangible world event, which could be something like widespread rioting, wars, in the you know, take for mm-hmm. instance, in the case of in the case of climate change, if like Miami went underwater, a lot of people's minds would change about mm-hmm. climate change in overnight. So 
short of something real world affecting a significant portion of Americans all at once, I don't think and that it's it's part of the it's part of learning from other cultures. You know, mm-hmm. China's learning how to be number one from us, and we're <laughs> going to give that to them. And we're learning how to be a authoritarian dictatorship that limits information. Well, to be fair, and I we got to be. I, I I know you're joking, but it's like the difference is, and it's it's important that I believe that these companies have the right to say, "I don't like the color of your tie." Goodbye. You know, like that. I I think the freedom of well, association. Not their platforms. Not if they're platforms. Yeah. They should be regulated publishers as publishers. Have that, right? and they, yes, yes. They should, they should legal, be regulated right? as publishers or forced to behave yeah. as platforms. But platforms don't have it. Like, I think that phone providers are platforms. Correct. A phone can't, well, <laughs> fla- <laughs> no, flash no. forward two years and let's see if this is <laughs> yeah. still true. But today, a phone company can't listen into your phone call, dislike the you content of your phone call, anything. and hang up yeah, the, yeah. the now, call. The, the FBI might tap your phone and come get you, but the phone company is not going to disconnect your service. Well, and AT&T might be doing this in 2023. So. <laughs> so, this podcast is still up in the future, and I got it wrong. Aged like milk. My bad. <laughs> Another semi- Can you uh, imagine? What? Just midway through a call, and AT&T doesn't like it. They just disconnect us. Yeah, which is what happens with you know live streams and all these other yeah. things. Uh Another thing that I just saw, which was Jocko Willink was on Jordan Peterson's podcast. Mm, that is a, two very intense individuals yeah, right there. there. There was a very interesting moment where, and I was like, this is the question that I've wanted to ask Jocko since I read his book. And Jordan says, basically, what do you think of the Iraq war? You know, mm. it seems to me that there was, you know, there was this horrible attack in New York and it wasn't, in a classic Petersonian uh, phrasing, it wasn't obvious to me why we were in an Iraq afterwards. And I and Jocko takes I don't know five ish ten ish minutes to preface the question with uh, how it's important and and leaders often have strategic ideas in mind that you don't see mm-hmm. and and kind of wraps it up and Jordan comes back and I was like thank God he says what do you think about Iraq if you were in a leadership position and he does finally come around at the end of his answer to saying I was in the torture chambers of Saddam Hussein and I saw these hooks. And I thought, I'm not mad that we're taking this guy out. And while I understand that perspective, uh, I guess this is the difference between him and me. He was on the ground, and I'm, and I can look at you know cold hard numbers on Wikipedia. It it does seem like Jocko is someone who might be a senator one day. That that's poor decision making. Like if someone has a torture chamber, then we should start it. War. <laughs> you're, say, you're saying because it's not that it was a bad thing to lose Saddam Hussein as the leader of Iraq because it came at the cost of American lives, Iraqi civilian, civilian lives, yeah, $2 yeah. trillion. Dollars. Like, not that if you could, with no one knowing, snap your fingers and have Saddam replaced with a nice president, that, that you wouldn't do that. Sure. But you're saying yeah. just because he has hooks in his interrogation room doesn't necessarily mean it's worth killing 100,000 civilians, a bunch of U.S. soldiers spending $2 trillion. He, he, I was waiting for him to, to sort of articulate his principle, and this is as close as he came in the answer, was I was not upset that we took this guy out, which is like, man, if we invaded every person with a torture chamber uh, with the same reckless abandon that we did in Iraq, weren't we to take bad guys electrocuting out, people at one point? No, we were waterboarding. No, no, wasn't there? there waterboarding, was is, waterboarding is legal. Yeah. Weren't Abu Ghraib, we, we illegally electrocuting people at some point? It's wild. It's, yeah, it's, it's, and I think he would, I don't know, this is the thing, he, he didn't it seemed a difficult question for him to answer. And I would Can really you, like... Google that on your phone real quick? I'm just I'd, curious. I'd be super curious to hear it because Jordan kind of got semi-pointed twice and then let off. But it seems... This is the question I've heard him talk about and sort of about leadership within the context, but he's never really 
gone into like we shouldn't have been there which is what which is what seems the obvious answer like what why were we there you know there, there's a lot of other places that have bad leaders that aren't are unkind to their civilian population at the time in 2003 it seems that iraq wasn't even at the very tippy top of the list uh didn't have weapons of mass destruction didn't have all of these other things i we, sh- we shouldn't have been there and i'm surprised but interested in why he doesn't say that and i'm interested because he's got a very different perspective than me you know and, and was on the ground but i was unpersuaded uh, just by what i heard him say um yeah and i wonder and this is something that we've talked about in the past that i've wrestled with is like if you're a leader is it better to be in the high tower looking at surveying the world in the battlefield disconnected making cold rational objective decisions or is it better to be the guy that's like in the blood and the muck and sees the hooks and and knows viscerally firsthand i don't don't know but it does seem that that's a danger there's a lot too close to it i imagine there's a lot of countries with hooks yes oh yeah you made the point that america has places that are not hard or had and may still that are not completely far from that yes there's no hooks but it's like we find ways to torture you uh that are within this the rules or all, well, black I'm saying even if or, you're even if you're just like yeah yeah our public policy is if you have a torture chamber we invade you and we kill a hundred thousand of your civilians and we let our own people die and we spend two trillion dollars i don't i don't even think iraq would be the number one place you'd pick that's definite i, I well i don't know definitely because i'm not a, it seems safe to it say it seems unlikely it's the number one <laughs> that it's yes place for torture yes i would bet the world. If you gave me Iraq or the world, I would bet the world. In, yes. And two thousand and three. Yes. Pretty comfortably, I bet the world. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. That would. Uh, it's like, it's like going back and buying Bitcoin. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. like a really safe bet. Yeah. So, so even if that is your policy, is torture's bad. The U.S. doesn't torture. That was propaganda. We waterboard. It's different. Mm-hmm. Hooks are evil, and you invade hooks. I go. I. I still don't think this thought process would get us into Iraq first. Yeah. It might be on the list of places we invaded, yeah. but. He did have an interesting point, and he he thinks of it again. He thinks of it from a soldier's his perspective, which is mm-hmm. someone who was going over there. And th- what I thought was an interesting point is, if somebody says gives you a ridiculous objective, like you're going to go storm that hill that is heavily fortified, and he takes everything back to tacticals because I think mm-hmm. that's his world. Yeah, uh, they're going to invade this. There's a hill. They're heavily fortified. They got more men, more machine guns, whatever. And they say you got to go do this, and you think it's a horrible idea. If you don't do it, you you abdicate any control over that situation to someone else who might just do it worse. Mm-hmm. So what he says is, I prefer to be the guy that says, oh, I don't like this, but I'll do it so that I can have some control over a very terrible situation. Oh yeah, I'm not saying he should have dishonorably discharged himself. That's yes. that's that's totally different. Saying that if you were trying to stop torture, you wouldn't invade Iraq in 2003 is a completely different sentence than saying the soldiers sent there by the U.S. Yes. should have abdicated their duty and fled. That's not yes. what I'm saying at all. I'm yes. just saying you don't. Ha- I don't think that I have to think it was a good idea by the president and the senators who voted for it to still think that the soldiers performed their duty or whatever. Like I have no opinion. Or on that the it soldiers. could be the right thing to do. Go look. This is going to be war. It's going to be brutal. And if I go, I can try to do make it a little less brutal yeah. or, you know, not pull the trigger on that one person who might be a civilian just and not be, like, just to be clear. I know so little about yeah. being on the ground in Iraq that I have no judgment at all towards the people mm-hmm. who did it. And if they did it well or poorly, because I have no information besides probably misinformation. Mm-hmm. My critique is on the decision made by the politicians mm-hmm. to go there yes. based on faulty logic. 
So yeah, this isn't to say Jocko did anything bad when he was there. He might have. I don't know anything about it. But this is just saying, yeah, the, the, the crap we were fed by Bush to get us there and justify it is not true. And saying that it's because they have torture chambers is also not true because yeah. I think other places have torture chambers. I found it interesting that he struggled or not even struggled, doesn't think that, you know, mm -hmm. and it was just, I was like, damn. Well, I have another thing about the army actually that I was going to talk about, which kind of talks about this, which is, which is just around like the indoctrinating, I guess, is oh, the, is the, the PC most version commercial? of, oh, you weren't here last night with me and Henry. This is what I wanted to bring up. Henry yeah. told me about it. Oh my so God. do you want to talk, talk about the commercial? Go ahead. Yeah. Well, so there, I was just talking to your brother about this army commercial and it's a commercial that makes war look like a video game and asks you what character you want to be. It's a hero shooter is what it is. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> Call of Duty, it's Halo. It's, it's Apex Legends. It's There's these different types of guys yeah. where, it's, where it's outriders and it's, do you want to be the provider? That's the cook, you know, like mm -hmm. the the front man. It's And it's like, choose your type yeah, it of makes character it, and it makes it like skills. a video game. And then I was looking at other, I just went down a rabbit hole of other army commercials and they're almost all shot like video games or movie trailers yeah. with the, the voice and the music yeah. and the helicopters looking really cool and everyone's pretty attractive in the military. Yeah. And I don't know why, but the parallel I thought of is, is grooming. You're not allowed <laughs> to, if you're 28, talk to a 17 year old and then sleep with her when she turns 18. But it, you are, if you're 28, allowed to talk to a 16 year old, a 17 year old about joining the military, show them a bunch of, propaganda basically yep. and then get them to sign up to be a soldier yep and which so this seems is, let let's call it more damaging yeah so this so, is it's the same thing a lot of people misunderstand advertising for alcohol uh cigarettes when they were more advertised and the army this isn't to 18 year olds who are making the decision to join the army this is the 10 year olds yeah, yeah. who are deciding that Budweiser this was on the NBA, right? This Budweiser is for the, is the king of beers. You know, I remember the Budweiser commercials that I remember are the ones with the frogs from when I was little. Like, and I thought, no joke, that Budweiser was objectively the best beer. <laughs> I, like, it was just obvious to me that, and that other beers were not. And because they had better, they didn't convince any 25 year olds. Yeah, yeah. You know, they like, no, with the frog? With the yeah, frogs? They're not advertising. Bud. Why, sir? 18 year olds are not falling for this fake grand theft auto thing but 13 year olds are building that into their worldview such that it gets baked in in a way that is unquestioned and they don't think war is like a video game but they think that it's glamorous in a mm -hmm. you know and it's it's um it's messed up i believe the amount that they spend i could be totally off on this but this is just it was like over 200 million dollars a year uh in advertising yes and that might even be i might be confusing plus what they get from hollywood where they give hollywood access to tanks and stuff for their movies and then they have to they get final edit on hollywood movies yeah if you want to use a piece of u.s army equipment in your movie then your movie has to be approved by the u.s military yeah uh it's you know obviously there's there's times where war is necessary unquestioned it's it's just a shame that the way that we get people to participate in it is by essentially glamorizing it for young kids that then don't think to go back and question it when they enter. And then we make them sign a binding contract. Yeah, yeah. Well, this know. was me, man. I almost went to the CIA mm -hmm. and I thought the army was awesome. I thought the U.S. only did good things and that I could be James Bond. And now that I'm older, I have multiple acquaintances that are really messed up from serving mm -hmm. 
like I, maybe for life, you know, they have PTSD and trauma and it's, uh, that's not to say we shouldn't ever go to war. That's not to say we shouldn't have a military, but I do think that they did not know what they were signing up for. You know, I wonder, there's places like Korea where unless you are uh, a pop star or you can get a very specific exemption, all the StarCraft gamers have to go because they're not popular enough. Yeah, yeah, even, even the UFC <laughs> you, fighters you have ha- to go. The pro have athletes have to go. Yeah. And so I'm Israel just, the same way. I'm wondering if they glamorize it the same way or if they even have to. It's like, we don't need to sell this to you. <laughs> like, this is a duty. It's not going to be fun. I, I've never lived in Korea, so I don't know. Justin, do you have any idea? Have you... Yeah, I don't think anyone likes it. Okay, but <laughs> so here's like a, not so they like it. Do like in America, it's, people it's think the military is and pro, there's awesome. a lot of propaganda. Is they there a lot awesome. of propaganda? I, I wouldn't know about the propaganda, but I know that there's a lot of pressure to go, and um, there's a lot of pressure to not dodge it. Yeah, because there are ways to just to, to dodge it. You can either gain a bunch of weight and get like too fat, or uh, you can, um, you know, if you have a lot of money, obviously, or have some sort of injury. Yeah, there's like there's flat ways. feet in there's the ways. US. Yeah, there's ways to get out, but it's it's heavily frowned upon. So it's that societal pressure. Interesting. I know is like one of the things that keeps people so stuck into it. It's totally possible that it's just uh, similar but a different emotional mechanism. That being like duty slash shame as opposed to thrill, excitement, and prestige. Yeah. I don't know. Well, yeah, it's also um, way more of a collectivist society. Yeah. Than the U.S. Like, you yeah, I think. To, yeah, you don't have to necessarily convince like the individual. It's more like everyone else is doing it. So. I think that's what Israel's like too. It's more it's more about protecting the homeland for them. Yep. Than it is about being uh, all you can be. Yeah. What's like? And, well, dude, our phrase was that. it was an army of one for a long time, right? I mean, yeah. how how much if you had to guess like which country came up with that motto, you would not guess Korea. Yeah. <laughs> you you would no people want to be Jack Bauer. Yeah. They want to be John Wick. They want to be this cool badass who's going out there killing bad guys and saving good guys and being the hero and mm-hmm. that's what we're told happens when you join the military for sure and then um, you get a lifetime of ptsd well i'm just, and and i had a it's just worth saying that with any category as broad as the military i had a cousin who joined the coast guard it's a great decision for him he didn't see action he learned a really valuable skill he came out he works in the private sector drone industry now mm-hmm. No, I'm 100% positive. Yeah. There's a lot of people that joined the military and are really glad they did. Yeah. Maybe because they had a good experience, maybe because they had a terrible experience, but they think it was their duty. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we should shut down our military. I was just noticing that we advertise it like it's a video game. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird to me that you can target 13-year-olds with it. Yep. Um, another thing you and I have mentioned, but we've talked in the past how like, uh, the framing of a problem really implies a solution. And mm. it, I was just thinking, cause I'm in LA that homeless, a lot of people have been upset with that word for politically correct reasons. They're like, the, they're currently unhomed is what they prefer. But, uh, to me, focusing on the home really misunderstands. And I think broadens the category of, uh, people that need help. Wait, and it casts too wide a net and implies a single serving solution, which is like, oh, if we can get the homeless homes, mm. things will be okay. Uh, and what I, you know, it would, it would probably be more useful to subdivide and be like, look, you have some people who have mental health issues, other people who have drug addiction, other people who have just lost their job and are living in their car temporarily. Other, you know, and there's all different mixes of these types of yeah, some people need there. to get just a helping hand back on their feet. Mm-hmm. Some people need mental health help and some people... They need help with their drug addiction. Yeah. Yes. They're very different camps of homeless. Yes. And what I've seen is that unfortunately, 
there are, and I see it I see it in my own area. There are groups that I know because I was talking to a friend of ours who he's a school teacher. He has a student whose parents like lost their job in the pandemic and he and his family were living out of a car uh, trying their best to get back on their feet. And the school was able to like raise money to get them temporary housing, which was huge and, and is going to help them and they're going to benefit from it. Mm-hmm. They're very receptive to financial injection. And I think that there's a large swath of the homeless population that is very receptive to housing, uh, financial. Sorry, when you say receptive, food. you mean would accept or you mean can be Sorry, helped by? Uh, like, like you give them this and then they just. They, it, it can be the catalyst it, to it helping ex- their It, it, it their helps life. them flourish. Yeah. Yes. And then I see immediately outside my door the opposite of that, which mm. is the guy running the scam right outside the shoe store mm. who stands out there without shoes pretends that he doesn't have any, takes your old shoes as you walk out of the store, sells them for drugs, and is back 30 minutes later doing running the same scam over and over. Yeah, like, yeah. Um, a cash injection. We only know that because literally one of our buddies saw him. I see Felt him. bad. Yeah, yeah. Gave him a pair of shoes. He put them on, and then 30 minutes later, he was standing there without shoes again. It's like, oh, you don't need a pair of shoes. I don't know what you need, but it's definitely not a pair of shoes. Yes, or cash injection. What you need, like, now you might need... Uh, things that cost money like social services and a counselor. But what you don't need is somebody to hand you $300 and say, use this how best you see fit. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know at all what the percentages of each are. I imagine they break down heavily by area and, you know, like, sure. Uh, but it just seems to me that as we talk about the problem, cause I, I felt my, uh, our buddy and me, slightly misunderstanding ourselves for the first part of this conversation where he talked about how they were dealing with homelessness. And I was like, but this doesn't match my on the ground Santa Monica experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, I was like, Oh, we're not talking about the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I totally agree with you. I totally agree that fundraising works here. And I'm sure that if you walked around my neighborhood, you would not throw a fundraiser <laughs> for, for this individual unless it was to get them uh, drug rehabilitation help. And you were to explicitly say where these funds were going yeah, and, not, yeah. and not give them agency over that. Um, and that's all just, just that the word is, uh, it hurts solution finding. Sure. I mean, also to be fair, depending on your situation, it's not appealing to like the short-term appeal of quote unquote moving up in society is pretty low. Yeah. I hang out in the sun. I do this scam. I get drugs. They feel amazing. And that's kind of like my circle of life versus I go through withdrawal so that I can go get a minimum wage job so that I can struggle to support mm-hmm. myself in this new sober world. It's it, that's I that's not the sexiest offer, it, it, especially when you're currently doing drugs. It's a miracle that more people don't just turn to drugs. Because if you think about it, I mean the Buddha said he was a prince. Life is suffering. <laughs> you know, life is really hard. If you're wealthy, life is hard. If you're poor, it can be even freaking harder. And so there's like this struggling subsistence life. And by the way, drugs are not terribly expensive. So you could spend four to 12 hours of your day feeling really good. Now you're going to feel pretty terrible for the other 12, but it's, if you remove the social shame and all of that kind of stuff, and people were just making purely rational decisions, short-term decisions, who says that the long-term even matters? I agree. Long-term, we're all dead. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a miracle that more people don't just do Well, this drugs. is kind of why, I mean, not kind this is one of the reasons why people take uh, outrage with the fact that weed is illegal. 
Just like mm. I do work a shitty minimum wage yeah, job. Yeah. I am struggling in the system. I haven't turned to crime. I haven't turned. I'm just doing a shitty job. And when I come home, I want to smoke weed and feel better as I try to make it in society the right way. And now I'm getting in trouble for this thing that harms no one that I do in my own home. And I don't know. I'm clearly, I am persuaded by the argument. I think it's insane that weed is illegal. So, but yeah, that is the argument. It's like, I'm doing, I'm doing the fucking shit work. And I have this horrible, uh, you know, lowest person on the totem pole life. And when I smoke weed to feel better about it, you guys hassle me or arrest me. Yeah. I think what when I think about drugs, I think that I'm not saying that uh, the way that we're describing it being used in the streets outside of our house is a sustainable, good, or uh, admirable, advisable way to no, do it. No, not at all. I'm just saying I understand why they don't get out of the cycle they're in. Yes, uh, and I'm I would add to that like the reason that more people don't do it is for a um, collectively rational but individually irrational shame that is placed on drug use the fact that 70 and 80 year olds just don't go re- like hard at all kinds of I'm always things surprised that, by that, that, that i actually could, am always surprised when seven year olds that's just because turn to drugs. not doing drugs is a religion it is a it is a religiously inculcated thing that yeah. says this is bad wrong shameful incorrect and because by the way if you fucking taste this you're gonna have a very different opinion now i'm not advising uh, flippant drug use. That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that there are circumstances, substances that it makes totally selfish individual sense to just feel good and to not, and, and to pay a price on the come down, uh, Mm -hmm. given where your life is at. And I'm, when I was reflecting on that, I was like, oh my gosh, it's actually a a miracle that more people don't just do this. And Mm -hmm. then I was like, oh, it's, there's this tremendous shame, social pressure and, never, never touch it. That is, uh, it's good for the collective because obviously if we had more people doing that, then we wouldn't collectively be here (laughs) or get very far. Uh, so I'm not going to change my individual behavior, but I have thought like, I, I, it's not going to work, but I have one remaining grandparent. I was like, I wish that I could get her some MDMA. (laughs) Now I would want to clear it with the doctor. Uh, and I, and I can't, and I won't, and it's not a real thing. So if you're nervous out there that I'm going to give her a heart attack, don't, it's not going to happen. But uh, it's occurred to me that she's gone 93 years. She's in the twilight of her life. Uh, She's got very simple joys, but it's like, man, I would like her to feel pure ecstasy and Mm -hmm. pure love before she, before she goes. Uh, And it it never occurred to her. It never, yeah, and it never would because of just how we treat these things. Yeah. And there's also you, I mean, certain drugs certainly, or an addiction to drugs can lead you to doing behavior that's harmful to society. Like, robbing people so you have to take that into account for sure but i uh, yeah i don't think people have an obligation to try to live as long as possible for instance so if somebody wanted to work a job become a heroin addict never hurt any other individuals in their life just literally go be a productive worker somehow but then do heroin at night it's like you don't have an obligation to not die at 30 because of this you see the professor that came out and said he's been microdosing yeah he microdoses it right yeah yeah it works for me like 60 years old or something yeah yeah no the problem is that i mean the, the problem is the drug addiction is very real you can turn to drugs in a non-rational moment of emotional struggle or whatever it might be even just peer pressures yeah. and then now you're addicted to drugs and then now you're doing things that are harmful to yourself and harmful society that aren't made from this idea that you're going to you know peacefully die at 30 because you've chosen this life but you're in this yeah. cycle this very destructive and, cycle and regret it and regret it terribly yeah you know 
Um, so I don't want to downplay that that's super real. And what yeah. happens most of the time when you turn to stuff like this mm-hmm. is, uh, you, yeah, it's you end up in a dark place and you regret it. Well, here's what I'll say. I actually don't know uh, if it happens most of the time. I don't know that it doesn't happen most of the time, but I realize that the my my experience of drugs is in the therapeutic sense with psychedelics and then really just like when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over $600 each week you can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply myths about drugs mm. and i don't mean myths in the sense that it's untrue it's like there's a mythology around drugs and an origin story and the type of person and i'm just realizing oh that I've, that i've never critically examined that because what i also experienced at uva was not personally but like heavy cocaine use at, at university of virginia amongst the fraternity mm-hmm. and the people appear to be doing what you would consider uh Highly prestigious, successful work now, and I think they continue to use cocaine. Oh, yeah, bro. You're just talking about the finance industry and the law industry yeah, yeah. and all sorts of shit. And so the um, the mythology, I don't think, captures the entirety of... Well, I don't... I mean, I don't know any... So, again, this is just completely... I don't know anyone who does heroin. So I don't That's know true. anyone who does heroin and then goes and is a hedge fund manager or a partner sure. at a law firm. sure. Does that mean that heroin is more destructive or that people don't experiment? Is it blah, 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 blah? I don't know. But well, let's just caveat. I know a lot of successful... Do you know people that are hooked on pain meds that like morphine? I mean, that's what heroin is. No, dude. I don't know any investment bankers that are hooked on pain okay, meds. Okay. So, okay. People that have gotten hooked on pain meds. We have a friend that was that was on pain meds. Yeah, but he didn't do... He broke his rib and then went through withdrawal to get off of them. That's yes. not a recreational user. No. The people I know that use recreational drugs and are very successful by society standards, which means clean cut, not life in disarray, financially successful, do cocaine, coffee, acid, (laughs) coffee, (laughs) coffee, alcohol, vaping, cocaine, acid, MDMA, and psilocybin. And dip. None of them (laughs) are recreational painkiller users or recreational heroin users. So that's not to say it's not out there, but just to be clear, those two, I know no one who does those at all, let alone is struggling or I don't know anyone who does heroin. So I'm not uh, just to be clear. Don't do drugs because it's a, that that is the safe place for me to stand because I don't understand it. But I was just thinking about this homeless problem and I was like, oh wow, I have like an unquestioned belief that drugs are bad. You know that like that that's still in there in my head and I just uh, it's based on early conditioning and not based on thorough investigation. And I'm a little bit too nervous to investigate beyond the therapeutic psychedelic stuff. So I'm personally not going to. That's all. I think I might have one other game. Yeah, go for it. Semi-related prescription meds are in there. So Tiger Woods had some uh, run-ins. I believe I could be wrong about this. This is not the point of the thing. He had a car accident. He was doing 40 over. He may or may not have been on prescription meds at the time. This is recent? Uh, yeah, I think 
like the news of it. I don't know if it leaked recently. It's okay. The the fact the, the facts of the state of the don't really matter. Just the idea that uh, we've said it several times, but I it helps me to see that greatness doesn't prevent sadness. Like the dude is the greatest. He was mm-hmm. amazing for such a long period of time, uh, over a billion dollars, potentially even after a divorce, which is incredible because she took like six to eight hundred million. I think it's the opposite. Often, I actually think. Often what fuels greatness is pain. Yeah. I don't know if that's the Tiger Woods case, but with Jordan, at least, he, mm-hmm. the reason he was so great is because he didn't feel like his dad, Thought I mean, this is just from yeah. a documentary. I've never met him, but like his dad didn't love him and he had to earn his dad's love by being good at basketball. And he got angry all the time about, you know. He punched a teammate in the face. Yeah. Punched Steve, and by the way, this isn't like he punched Scottie Pippen in the face, he punched Steve Kerr in the face. Yeah. Like, Pick the smallest dude. <laughs> uh, it's not like when Kobe punched Shaq in the face. That's yeah. like, like, all right, dude, that's, I you kind of respect that. I don't know what, you, what it was for, but that's ballsy at least. Punching Steve, Steve Kerr is like my size. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a reminder. It's like, man, because there's, there's a time and not like, I never really want to be good at golf, but whoever I, I've, we've talked about Avicii. I've thought, man, if I had that musical talent. Like yeah, music. Guy, oh, dude, so many famous musicians ridiculously come, talented. come out of pain. Yeah, all the comedians, all the musicians. Like, it's just, man, Not I guess you're right. Not only is greatness not preventative, which to me just kind of leaves me in a comfortable way, uh, a little bit rudderless when it comes to goals. Because yeah. it's like, why would I want to be great when <laughs> when this is what awaits me? Um, but also, yeah, I guess is oftentimes the engine of greatness is oftentimes pain. Yeah. In fact, I rarely not i think is is the way to i think it's fair to say that every i've had some successes that you got to go you know one top one percent or point one percent they're all motivated by either insecurity or fear of failure or pain from something in my past you know there's not not yet been one that was just inspired by pure carrot chasing sure and there's and there are people like we talked about sri ramana who like went to the monastery and people kind of followed and became a great sage and you know lived in a loin oh i was just saying for my own life if i look at it it mirrors the michael jordan in the sense it's like oh yeah all my good stuff came from bad emotions yeah i've said this in the past (laughs) i was like look i haven't posted on instagram and and it's i might do a charity post once a year or something to to raise a little bit of funds but also i get a little social pat on the back from that which feels good Mm -hmm. the more you see me on those things and there will come a time just know like oh, like send me some virtual hugs things are bad things are bad <laughs> when, when you see me like sharing more and uh probably that'll always be the case like because i've thought it's like oh i should i should um i've learned the solo to gravity uh by john mayer which is i'm not great at it it's a very hard solo for me uh but i can play it yeah, passably well i was like i should put it on it's like or I could just play it and not set up yeah, the camera. Yeah, yeah. Like, like the day that I post it will not be the day that I've perfected it. It'll be the day that I need validation, some, something to come Love. in. Um, so it'll it'll be up there. I'm working on it. <laughs> but that's what I've got today. Nice. I just have one thing. Uh, our pescatarian diet is going to be ruined. Oh no! I'll read, just read the headline first. Japan says sorry, but it has to dump this radioactive water into the ocean. Japanese prime minister says the government has put off figuring out what to do with the contaminated water building up at the destroyed Fukushima nuclear power plant for long enough, and it's going to dump it into the ocean. Cool. So we're going to need a new diet. <laughs> <laughs> no, that can't be real. I mean, that's that's such a cheeky headline. Sorry. like. Yeah, yeah. I just thought it was int- I have no takeaway from it. I, the more interesting thing is just that shit like this is happening all the time. And we know nothing about it. Yeah. Tragedy of the commons, man. People, people do not poop in their own owned cars 
You know what I mean? Like, no, probably not in rental cars because that's gross. But like, if it's a rental, you treat it one way. And that's still like, there's some ownership over it. But yeah, man, if it's, if it's the park or if it's the ocean, like, yeah, people just don't treat it nearly yeah. as well, man. Just keep an eye out for some double-headed salmon. Great. There's also, I didn't, I've, uh, I avoided it because it had the same name as Cowspiracy, which was, yeah. I saw Seaspiracy on Netflix and I was like, ah, I'm interested. I want to dive into this, but man, if you mirror the name of Cowspiracy, which for those of you who doesn't know, was one of the most persuasive things for many people to go vegan, but was framed in a very dishonest way where the, the filmmaker pretended to be on this discovery journey. And really the filmmaker had been very vegan activist for a long time and created a false narrative it's actually a shame i don't trust i don't trust any persuasion. documentaries anymore because i've i've seen like two that fall into that camp yeah and to me they're they're kind of like reality tv at this point it's a shame because there's a lot of really interesting looking ones on netflix and i go yeah. why would this be true yeah like, why would i why would this possibly be true this well, is going to be cherry-picked facts and it's gonna, some of it well, here's here's what i think here's why i was like look if I get attached to any of the statistics, it's going to be a lie. But there might be a broad truth, which is like, look, when you get fish out of the ocean, you got to kill a whole lot of other stuff. You know, there, there, there might be some other things that I could find persuasive or moving, but I would have I'm to throw out. I'm just saying, even if they say that in a documentary, it doesn't make it true. Uh, yes, but I, what I could believe is like, that makes sense. You know, that if we're doing things cheaply, like, I, and I kind of well, do. Well, yeah, but Cowspiracy has all sorts of things like that that, that make sense, sense and yeah. are completely untrue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one thing that I remember is that they uh, and they unfairly. Uh, this is only the one piece. Um, they talk about what creates the most greenhouse gases, yep. and they use to compare. They use the entire meat industry and compare it to just tailpipe emissions right. from cars, and then say, "Oh my!" And then they compare this to it and say, "Oh my gosh, cows are so bad." It's like, wait a second. Used the entire lifespan of getting like a burger, moving the cows which, and moving yeah. the water to feed the, and cows. then only the tailpipes, and and then and then. The title of it is cows are more or nearly right. as much Which as... Which is to say you should have done the gas used to move car parts and to run car yeah. factories and everything you did for... Which And by the way, I, I'm, I'm not eating cows. Yeah. Like, I don't eat cows. I just think this is a just dishonest... Just not trust you. It's a dishonest yes. documentary. I know I can't trust you because you are invested in changing my mind. Yeah. You're not invested in uh, telling the truth, <laughs> which is a bummer. Uh, and it's like... Because what's funny is that person who made it might have told the truth 95% of the time. But if I it's if I find one thing, I just got to go well now what do I do? This is a, this is what we've the problem that we've had in in hiring. It's like look, if we're if we're looking at any ad copy or anything like that, I don't I want to with everyone in the company be like I trust you do your own thing. But if I review a piece of work and I don't see a mistake, I see something that is factually untrue. Like you say that um it's got it's guaranteed to do X, Y, and Z, and it is not guaranteed under those things. Then I go, oh gosh, now I have to scrutinize every single line of what you say, and having you help is no longer a help <laughs> because I have to have final say on every single period, mm -hmm. comma, and apostrophe. Um, so yeah, try to tell a tooth documentary, guys. I, and unfortunately, I suspect that I could learn a lot from both Seaspiracy and Cowspiracy yeah, people. Yeah. Like, but... Uh, and I don't know that the Seaspiracy guy is the same. He might have just picked up on the name, you know. It, but it, it was a slight turnoff to me to see that. Anything else you got? Yeah, one clarification on the sponsor from last week, Marketing Step by Step, because somebody emailed in confused because I said it was $97 and they Googled it and found it for $1,000. You have to go through our link. 
because they emailed us. They're like, oh, you were wrong about the price. So through our link, it is $97. I got a special deal from the guy that runs the company. So if you go to ebbenpagantraining.com slash charisma, you'll get marketing step-by-step for $97. If you go to their website, you'll get it for $1,000. Same course. So you have to go to ebbenpagantraining.com slash charisma. And then you can get it for $97. Cool deal. I didn't know we were uh, able to... I think I think they might not have... It's, it's an older program, so I suspect they weren't pushing it as hard. And it's like, no, this is... We've been begging. Oh, it's the best. I think it's this... I mean, yeah. literally the number two best resource of any kind for someone who wants to start a business. That's mm-hmm. why I hit them up begging to yeah. <laughs> promote it. We should also, um, along these lines, I'll tell you, I'm, if you can find it, go for it. Personal Power 2. It's from the 80s. It's really old. They do sell it. They, they sell it on their website should now. see if we can get an affiliate link. Personal power too for its... Uh, people sometimes ask me, like, what should I give to a friend of this? What should I give? And the question to which personal power too is the answer is someone who feels a little bit lost or isn't hitting their goals or mm-hmm. is a little... It's just like, oh my God. Oh, I've listened to it multiple times. I've probably gone through it five times. Yeah, it's great. It is fantastic. We should try... Uh, Justin, will you try to get an affiliate link from them? Sure. Personal power too. It's Tony personal Robbins. Personal power too, it's, yeah. It's Tony Robbins. I, I doubt they'll get back just because they're a large uh, company, but it's very good. All of... Just so you don't listen to the first piece that is not Tony Robbins talking. It's like 45 minutes of some dude from the 80s trying to build cred for Tony when Tony, <laughs> Tony needed it. Tony, Tony does doesn't need cred. cred anymore. He's got it. Start on day one and just be prepared for a lot of like, you know the ad. You know the Marlboro Man. It's like, <laughs> no, Tony, we don't we don't know the ad. You know, He's got one for like Alka-Seltzer. R-O-L-A-I-D-S. You've all heard the commercial. <laughs> okay. This is- uh, so yeah, it's dated, but the That's psychology amazing. is, is yeah. not so cool. And then we got a new sponsor for this week. Uh, we have an affiliate deal with them. So instead of getting paid, we get some percentage of the sales. I don't know what it is, but it's inside tracker. This is something I have been oh, using dope. for years and, uh, you get a discount if you go through our link, but what it is, is it's blood work. So this is something I have been doing once or twice a year for years because it, it measures so much from your inner age to your testosterone to your vitamin d so when i read all these health things talking about deficiencies and how you should supplement i didn't know what to take and so i just go take this blood test and it tells you what you're deficient in because a lot of people get confused like in four hour body by tim ferris he talks about how he eats brazil nuts for yeah. testosterone so then every man in, that read the book started eating brazil nuts it's like no for this selenium, is yeah. this is only good if you have a selenium deficiency yeah. that's why it was so transformational for him and so, yeah, it tells me everything I'm low on. And I have almost tripled my testosterone by using it. And it tells you, it also does the difference between free testosterone. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, it's very detailed. Yeah. Um, but, but just for my results and then changing it with some changes to diet and supplements, I've, I've almost tripled my testosterone. And then the most recent one, I, realized, I saw I had a magnesium deficiency, a B12 deficiency. It tells you all this stuff. And then you just, you just change it and yeah. then you... You're, I used you're to do it every three months. I should get back on it. I've and so what you can do with it is you can either go to like a, a clinic or whatever, and they'll draw blood for more money. And I think this is worth it. They'll come to your home, and mm-hmm. so like you know, I've woken up to a knock on the door. I stumble out of bed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I probably should have had some more water. They come, they draw blood, and that's your. It's, yeah, they do. It's got uh, at the high end. They do fifty biomarkers. Yeah, um, that, and they tell you where you are in them. And what's nice is over time you track your trajectory yeah so in addition to knowing if you're in the healthy range you can also see if how your lifestyle is affecting your own baseline over time yeah to me the nice thing is they come to your house because i'm a lazy person and i'm not yeah. going to ever go anywhere or make an appointment and they just yeah i first thing in the morning they're there so, so yeah i imagine we have a lot of people who are optimizers fitness optimizers social optimizers so if you're interested inside slash charisma on command
What's the 22% discount? off. Dope. Dope. Oh, and if you don't go through that link, but use the code charisma, it also gets you 22% off. Cool. So that's our sponsor for this episode. Yay. I actually had a question that I saw on our regular YouTube channel randomly that I was curious if you had a thought on char mm-hmm. in the Elon Musk video. I talked about questioning your constraints. And one example was how, if you want to start a business, you can move abroad to lower your cost of living so that when you're not making any money, you extend how much time you have to still pay yourself rent and food and all that stuff. And someone commented that that only works for the middle class and that it's, that is not a constraint you can question if you're poorer than that, basically. Cause I was saying that's, you think you can't start a business cause you don't have enough money, but if you go abroad, that constraint goes away. Mm-hmm. And I was curious if you think that I'm, if that, that, that is a real constraint or if you think this person's just not questioning the constraint the right way. I looked it up. It's $160. I picked a random city to fly from Chicago to Mexico City. Round trip is $160. And then once you do that, I assume that rent and food and everything in Mexico City is cheaper even than the poor neighborhoods in Chicago. So it seems like you would still extend your cost of living, but I was just curious if you had a opinion on that. Because we often do advocate. we're talking low class, not low class, low economic. Low income. Low income. But let's say no debt, which is, uh, I guess here's the two things. One, you're going to need to develop a skill set that is remote and, and so you can earn dollars while abroad. Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, for sure. Like <laughs> uh, if, you, if you are willing to, and now granted, you're going to need extra time. And I think it's, it's both, there, there's truth in it, but it's not fully true to say, oh, I'm, I'm so busy that I don't have the time to do it, which is. I work this time, I have to take a double shift. And I think what you find in many of those cases, that is true, but there's also TikTok, TV, other stuff. And the question is, are you willing to sacrifice to get out of that? Mm-hmm. Um, with any of this stuff, the, the my perspective is, you're probably right that there are additional constraints on your position, but you do yourself no benefit by not questioning them, like by by commenting in a youtube video i can't do this it uh you you would not be the first person of low income to make it work (laughs) yeah yeah. so i i i just it's not impossible though it is going to statistically happen less often for sure that's all i was just curious i was like is is moving abroad to work because this i mean the same thing no, it's like... Is it a middle-class privilege? Forget abroad. You can move to cheaper America. You just you cross a border. Now, you have to get a passport, which can take extra time and investment, sure. But it's like, look, if, if you're living in in Los Angeles, anywhere, and you can move 50 miles west, mm-hmm. it's going to be cheaper. Um, now, will there be work there? This is why step one is figure out some sort of remote skill that allows you to be paid in big city dollars when you live rurally or in a different country um yeah i think even if you're making ten dollars an hour online or twelve dollars an hour online but you're living in mexico city it probably goes a lot further i'll tell you and you're like oh there's not a lot of this we have a friend that at the beginning was an expert at this he would he was doing google captcha for twenty dollars an hour you know and it was like look that's twenty dollars an hour anywhere that's twenty dollars an hour in manhattan on 54th street or in some tiny little shack somewhere where it's food costs two dollars yeah um so and then he additionally Classic was like at two computers outsourcing that, trying to like get it up to forty dollars an hour. Um, yeah, he would borrow a laptop so he could do it. He could do it just two, twice. Double the same captcha. Time. Click you know, on the cat. Click on the cat. Cheating the big Google guy. Yeah. Um, but there's there's uh, 
a lot of things. That's probably not one of them. Uh, what he had that someone who was of lower income probably didn't have was the imagination and experience to know all the nooks and crannies that might be available to him to mm-hmm. make money online. And I think what this person probably lacks is an example of someone who has done that. And thus the imagination of like, oh no, man, like you'd be surprised uh, what how big the online gig economy is and how you might be able to find a lucrative place there. So, yeah. Okay. I was just curious. I was like, I'm, I'm, I have my own bias, but sure. I saw it. I thought it was an interesting question. So I figured I'd ask you. Cool. What do we got, Justin? First one is, I recently got feedback from my friend that I don't show enough empathy to his stories. I don't think I have a problem when it comes to showing sympathy or sorry, I, I don't show enough sympathy. Um, I don't think I have a problem when it comes to showing sympathy, but I find often that once I put myself in the antagonist's shoes in her story, I end up expressing that I also understood where they came from uh, along with her. <laughs> For example, yes, I see I, I see. I know what you're saying, but I think uh, uh, more about what your boss would have wanted from his employer. Um, you're and, showing too much empathy, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, and I'm interested in how you guys would personally respond to someone you find hard to sympathize with but is requesting you to do it? Do you simply show more sympathy and ignore the other side, or would you check, um, or would you check them on it? Is there harm in ignoring it? Uh, so uh, I'm glad you said, "What would I do?" Because I don't know if this is the right thing. I don't know the right thing to do. I know what I do, which is it sounds like more towards what you're doing. It's like, yeah, it sounds like your boss has a point. Like, <laughs> you know, like um, I think most people, and this is, I think people, you want both. I go to my mom to be on my side eh, all the time, ridiculous, even when I'm wrong. Yeah. And I just want someone to listen and tell me that I'm right and I, I deserve it. Um, people, if they do, they come to me to get my perspective on it, which is not, <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. you're wrong. <laughs> well, no, but some people, like your a girlfriend wouldn't come to you because they want your perspective. They just come to you because you're their boyfriend. Yeah, and she comes to me and then is not happy often with the immediate thing. And I, I'm like, look, where I stand is like, if you don't want my opinion, don't ask yeah, for yeah. it. But please, for both of us, don't ask me ever to lie to you. Like, yeah. I'm, like you don't want me. You, you wouldn't respect me if I lied to you. I'm going to tell you, you're in the wrong. Yeah. And and if I, and I'm not, that's only my opinion. By the way, you came here seeking my opinion. I'm not shoving it down your throat. If yeah. you want me to stop talking, let's just change the topic. What I, I think that you were rude to your friend. I think your boss has a good point. And I think that you should apologize. Um, but I'm not going to sh- make you. You're, you're just asked. <laughs> yeah. What I say is you don't have to do this. I like, I, I just say you, this is, don't, you don't feel bound by this. Like you've come, you've told me the situation. I'm going to tell you what I think, but also you can just ignore it. Yeah. My, my sense, and I do get like, I, I enjoy these conversations. Like, hold on, let's, let's get this straight. You're coming to me because you want me to repeat your own thoughts back to you regardless of my perspective <laughs> i'm not available for that yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. not a thing that i do for anyone so i love you good luck if you want that i'm sure someone else can give it to you when you want my perspective which is simply that let me know yeah. <laughs> and uh the 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 solace that i take in that is that i can't choose my perspective like i can't choose sure to feel any differently about it. Like you could describe it differently and add more information. But uh, with all that, it's like, how could you say that? It's like, 
the only other option is to lie to you. <laughs> like, <laughs> how could you say that? How could you take their side? Like the only other thing I can do right now is lie to you yeah. because that's what happened when you told me all of these pieces. Yeah. So like I feel uh, deterministically just strung by the facts that as you've relayed them to me. Yeah. So you also can have, I mean, this isn't going to be as much sympathy as they're looking for probably, but you can say like, listen, I totally get why and I get where you're coming. That yeah. frustrates you. Yeah. I, mean, I just had a conversation like this. Like, I totally get why that frustrates you. It makes total sense to me. I think if you got outside yourself into the other person's perspective, you'd see that your feelings just didn't come into the equation because they have other stuff going on. And mm. like, if I were them, I also wouldn't have thought much about my roommate because of this much more pressing thing on their mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And yeah. so I'm like, I get where you're coming from. I totally get it. And it wasn't nice what happened. And so I'll say that and I'll say... At the same time, I don't think it would be appropriate to go reprimand the person because mm -hmm. given what's happening in their life, like that small slight, just forgive it, mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And so like that's how I present, whoops, that's how I present the opinion. Yeah. So that's not to say you should do that. No, no, it's just what I do. This is, it's funny, it's a little bit meta. It's like you asked for my opinion. <laughs> here's, here's my opinion. So all I can do is tell you what I do. Uh, sometimes I feel like I know more of like the quote unquote right thing. But uh, I'm glad that, you know, there's people out there like my mom who will just never say that I'm wrong mm -hmm. <laughs> about anything. Um, probably just your mom. It's probably just her. <laughs> and so it's good that there's one. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's good. that I have one person as well. <laughs> my mom. Uh yeah, any more than that might not be might not be healthy. So, cool. Next is, um, I have really enjoyed your social skills tutorials. The only other compar the only other comparable guide I have followed and learned with, um, is Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. Classic. I've even taken the course and later been invited to their course as a mentor. Mm. Um, however, after recently binge watching House of Cards, I'm starting to feel like although I'm seeing good results with my social reactions. Um, I'm beginning to act in a fake and manipulative way. How do you reconcile this using all these social tricks to be more engaging while not turning into a completely fake person when it comes to social interactions? Great question. It is the great question. Yeah. So I think that it's interesting and every solution is its own undoing, which is to say it's not a mistake or a problem that your calculated choice of how to behave has led to robotic behavior. It's like that is a natural progression of moving from uh, unthought out mm -hmm. conditioned behavioral patterns to thought out practiced behavioral patterns. And what you'll find is that, yeah, like I do feel like now I'm, I'm becoming too much of a brain in these interactions um, and, to, and doing too much of the right thing and not as much of the authentic thing. So in my own experience, what I am happy with it, it was like, here I am as a teenager just doing what I've been conditioned to do and getting pretty poor results. Then I move along and I start practicing and, and trying to get all of the right things to happen. And then I get to a point and I look, which of each of these do I want to choose and, and carry forth with me? So I'm going, and basically where I landed is I'm more introverted than I was in my 20s. Like, and I don't want to constantly go and be the star of the show. And so I'm not going to make myself. Uh, sometimes it's fun and I will. And uh, I just, I guess I allow for more fluidity between different modes of being. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. So that's kind of how I've um, jumped out. Additionally, 
I think that some of the things become unthinking habit a bit more easily. That's what I was just going to say. As you, as you work on this, more stuff becomes effortless. Talking yeah. with your hands, posture, eye contact, speaking through a smile when you're telling a story. That stuff stops being front of mind yeah. as you build the habit. Mm-hmm. And so then there's a question of like, okay, if I know that for just about almost, and this isn't true of every habit, for almost any habit, and a habit that isn't this way is like jealousy, right? I've, I've, <laughs> good luck working yourself out of jealousy with practice. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's resistant to, to standard things. But if you're like, oh, I want to tell stories with my hands, think about that for three weeks and then let go and it'll carry. Like mm-hmm. it'll, it'll coast for a while. Also, you might, be, you might be at a certain point and then you elevate yourself through thinking about it consciously and then it becomes a bit of an unthinking habit, but when you stop thinking about it, it falls a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so you're much better than you were before, but you're not gesticulating quite as much as yeah. when it was front of mind. And that's okay. Now you're now you're to the right of the bell curve relative to other people. It's an unthinking habit. And at the same time, you are technically you wouldn't get an A plus on it in the way you would have when it was the thing that you were focused on. Yeah, this is, I mean, this is, take for instance, day one of Charisma University. One of the easiest charisma things you can do is when someone asks you, how are you, is be better than good. Except I don't always do that. I did for a period of time because I was trying to max out my charisma. And now what I do is sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm great, sometimes I'm awesome. But it's it's exactly what you described. Here I was fine or good every time because that was my standard response. Then I practiced being excellent, phenomenal, like every fucking day. And now it's on average above where it was, but below the top. And I'm, I'm very comfortable with that. Uh, so I think that hopefully you start to follow that same thing and you can make your own decision as to how much longer you want to engrave those habits and when you want to ease up a little bit and allow yourself to fall to a more comfortable new natural. Yeah, one thing I would say if you are, you're like, I don't want this to be as front of mind as it has been, but at the same time, I don't want to fall back to my old habits. Watching people who are excellent Mm -hmm. subconsciously does program you, I think, such that let's say you were really sarcastic and negative, which is what I was like in high school when I started college. I would accidentally hurt people's feelings all the time. Watch Chris Pratt. And even if you're not walking into conversation with Dale Carnegie in mind, the fact that you have been watching Chris Pratt instead of watching Mm -hmm. whatever comedian is snarky that snarky dick kind of person like a bill burr you will subconsciously continue to be that way more so if that makes sense you can kind of pre-frame yourself such that the habit doesn't go away even when it's not front of mind Mm -hmm. so that's why when i was learning charisma i was very cognizant of what media i was consuming Mm -hmm. cool next is Hey guys, I was recently told that a good woman endures in regards to relationships, but I'm wondering (laughs) what and how much does a good woman have to endure in order to be considered a good woman? And when is it okay to give up on a relationship? Like endure suffering? (laughs) I assume. Listen, anytime you hear good anything, uh, not anytime, many of the times you hear good woman, good man, good citizen, good Christian, good whatever. It's a mechanism of control by someone who doesn't have your best interest in mind. And I've never heard I have. Uh, this is a clear example. <laughs> this is a very clear example from someone who does not have your best interest in mind or hasn't critically thought about this themselves. Um, yeah, it's kind of like those Tinder profiles. They're like, if you're not man enough to yeah. <laughs> give me everything I want, even when it's unreasonable, then you're not for me. It's like, yeah, okay. If that's what we're going to define a man as, 
Count me out. I have the opposite thought, which is well, like, let's drop the good. But this is actually a very common trope amongst men's stuff, which is that women are a storm and a good man is the rock that is just sustains and is centered in the storm. And it's a romantic notion to think the whole world around you could be chaos and you could be centered. But it's like, yeah. wait, wait a second, the whole world isn't chaos. It's, it's just her. Yeah. <laughs> and so what Ben and I have talked about is like, I'm not the rock. I'm the bird. Yeah. And when I see a storm, I fly away <laughs> yeah. and I don't go back there ever. Like, like yeah. I'm done. I'm not, I'm a migrating I'm tropical sturdy. bird. I'm not, I am fragile and I hate storms and I don't want to be around it. Now, yeah. obviously that's an oversimplification. No. People in my life can be sad and I'm not going to abandon them. But I, but I have fallen for the trap that someone is trying to trap you with. And I have seen this many times. It is it, it often people try to, get you to stay in situations that aren't good for you by saying that that's what a, good. and then whatever good yeah. adjective, good woman, good man, strong person. Yeah. That's what they would do, you know? And so. No. Yeah. I mean, I, not I just at all. reject that's, that. Completely. Like, so even the question of how much is like, forget it. That's not what a good woman does. The fact does. that you're asking this. How much? Probably means your relationship uh, should end. Honestly. Maybe, I don't know what it means in terms of the relationship. It's whoever just, just throw that out. A good woman blanks is just not the case. Um, this is like doesn't murder. Yeah. <laughs> also, just so you know, that's also a mechanism of control. Yeah. You know, and there are appropriate times for murder. There's, there's, there's a, a time for you know what is it a season for every for everything. <laughs> talking about the purge over here. Yeah. Um. So yeah, throw it out, and then you're gonna have to reestablish what a good woman, person, soul, whatever it is, yeah, does, and you're gonna and. and in terms of your relationship, I'll just reflect on, is this good for your happiness, short-term, long-term fulfillment, whatever you want to call yeah. it. I would not stay in a relationship to try to prove your character. Mm -hmm. Cool. Great question. And then <clears throat> last one is, I'm reaching out because I have this family member who is only slightly older than me that works in tech sales and frequently discourages me and shoots down any business ideas I might have or even from attempting to start a business. I've read the four-hour work week as recommended, and I've invested in self-education for my idea and have only recently begun optimizing my Facebook page for this idea. Unfortunately, after having seen that I updated my Facebook page, this family member has persisted in continuing to talk down to me as if I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't plan to stop trying things because he doesn't think I know enough or am competent enough, but how do I deal with someone like this? I think I can help a little. So I don't know why you uh, went to your Facebook page. Now, there might be a good reason, but typically uh, a good business is one that requires no family or friend support, which means that one of the last places you should be is on Facebook or Instagram. You know, so this is separate. Like, sorry, there's two there's two ways to use Facebook. One is I make an energy drink company and I create an energy drink page for the yes. company. But then your family and friends would have no idea it, it was you. It. Yeah. The way that you're talking about is something we've seen a lot from people trying to start businesses. I am a coach they or this turn or to that. their friends and family yeah. as an attempt to either validate their idea, Build which the they base. can't do, yeah. or be a be clients, which is if your business needs that work, then it's yeah. not it's not going to work out long term. So, so generally speaking, and this isn't to say that you're hiding it, but like any uh, if you're doing something and you're using friends and family as an initial boost, it's it's actually a bad way of doing it. It's going to give you false indicators of the success. Or And sometimes you'll be really on to something that would do well in the market, but your family is going to hold you back. So uh, that's, that's just a general direction. I don't know exactly what you're up to, but uh, people in our life 
unless we told them, did not know what we were doing. And I'm very glad we, we just had, we had a website that was for people who were interested in parkour. And then we had a website that was for people that were interested in charisma. And unless a family member Googled charisma, they would not find us. And that was perfect. Yeah. My, I mean, my friends knew cause I, I was leaving living with them to go move to Brazil. Sure. Sure. But and so it wasn't, I wasn't, knew. I wasn't recruiting them as clients or anything exactly. like that. And now, so we, where did you get people? We went to forums of interested groups. So we went to parkour forums and we went to uh, dating forums and all these kind of things and tried to find people interested in that topic. That's so that's a side point. How do you deal with this kind of a person? Um, Time will tell was my strategy. Dude, I had so many people tell oh, me it was a bad idea to start a business and leave finance. I just went, okay. So we, I made a video on this. Uh, it's literally called like how to deal with the haters that come when you start personal development. Yeah. So look it up. I forget the exact phrase that we've used in the past, but it's it, this one shuts people up cold. And there's like six other ones. I know, I know what you're talking about. It's, the, uh, it's a good thing that you get to live your yeah. life and I get to live mine because we'd both probably be unhappy if we had to switch. Yes. I just watched the video. That will fucking shut people up. Okay, so I was like, let's see, your uncle comes up to you, he's got all this advice. Look, you just drop what Ben said. It's a good thing that you get to live your life and I get to live mine because we'd both be unhappy. And what that is, it's like, I don't want what you have. <laughs> and I'm not going to shove it down your throat, but I don't really admire it. Yeah. And if you want to ask more, <laughs> you can keep asking, but you're just asking for me to do a put down that I'm not interested in delivering to you. I just, am, I want to live and let live. The other thing is your business idea might suck and you might have no idea what you're doing. Yeah. That's exactly where we were in terms of knowing. We, I knew nothing about, I yeah. went to business school. I knew nothing about starting a business. So when people would come up to me and they say, yeah, this isn't, this isn't how you do it. I go, yeah, maybe, Probably. I don't know. That's, Time will tell. I'll figure yeah. it out. But this is my first iteration and I'm going to learn how to do this. Yeah. This is the other thing is you don't need to defend any idea ever. Like yeah. what Ben and I defended was ourselves. The pursuit yeah. of entrepreneurship and a willingness to bet on myself and you to eventually succeed. Yeah, yeah. When people are like, parkour, what? DVDs? That, yeah, maybe. You, dude, you might be totally right. I guess we're going to find out. When we had an LLC, we did not call it parkour. We called it, I'm not going to say it, but something, <laughs> something <laughs> dumb. Something but enterprises. It's, a, it's an umbrella company. It's just a, it's like a nameless thing that could be anything. Yeah. And the reason that we did that was because it was like, yeah, but this gonna, everything's going to fail. Prisma Command could fail. Dude, when I first, when we first started this, it's like, it might not be this. I'm it's, just going to keep trying yeah. and learning and trying to be a better business person. And if person. Charisma on Command fails, it's like, okay, I, what am I left with? The skin on my bones? And <laughs> like, that's back back to the shop. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I think you don't have to get defensive about your idea or convince them it's a good idea. The market will tell you if yeah. the product idea plus your marketing is good or bad. And then you will either give up or you'll continue to change and pivot and grow and learn and yeah. get better. Um. Yeah, and there's a hundred different things you could say, but I think it, you know this, like listen to people that have the life that you want and not those that don't. Um, Well-meaning or otherwise, they just don't know what oh, yeah. it takes. I, I had at least a dozen people lovingly tell me that I was a moron for quitting my job. Yeah, I and should what's, what's absolutely funny is, man, these people, these people go so quiet. They, go, they, 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 they disappear. When no, they turned around. They, they? they say, oh yeah, they say it, that it's great and they love it. They've always been supporters. <laughs> so one guy did, one guy did pull the, like, I've always known you were going to work. I was like, dude, that's not how I remember it, but okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Interesting. All right, cool. That's all I had. All right. Cool. We're going to hop over to Patreon now. If you guys want to join, we appreciate it. It uh, helps us keep the podcast going. We're a little bit under our goal. So every person that joins does mean a ton. And we're going to continue to answer these kinds of questions and oftentimes riff on Anything yeah, as, all, as ideas come up. All of the Patreon money uh, goes to funding something about the podcast, whether it's Justin or some other thing related Lightings. to the podcast. Charlie and I at this point make nothing from it. So 
If you like the podcast, joining Patreon just helps ensure it keeps going. And uh, we also guarantee that at least once a month, we will answer a personal question of yours. I think almost no matter what it is. So can we still do that? Well, we're trying to hopefully as that scales, that's not going to be the case. So if you're watching this in the future, we might have to work back on that because we sometimes spend like two hours on these. Well, we well what it was Patreon. was we would answer and you could ask any amount of questions. So yeah, we yeah. just have co- people coming in hot with like six questions a month. Got it. But I still think Justin, correct me if I'm wrong. Everyone gets a question answered. Um, as of right now. Yeah. We sometimes even circle back and like double up on some people, mm-hmm. but I, I'm literally just going through chrono like chronologically in the Got DMs. It. So it's like first come first serve. Cool. So yeah, so we, yeah. Hope, we hope to see you over there. It keeps the podcast going and it's essentially another, you know, another half podcast or full podcast yeah. every week. So we appreciate you. Justin definitely appreciates you. <laughs> yes. All right, let's do it. See you there. Peace. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.